back for another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Lynn Elias, film critic, uh, print online, moderator, host, creator and host of Behind the Lens. You can find my reviews and interviews uh, all over the place. Google me. Look for me. MovieSharkDeBlur.com, Culver City Observer, Beacon Times, uh, Examiner. Um, Take a look. Uh, we got video interviews out there. We've got a whole stack of video interviews uh, from the recent Spirit Awards, uh, Carpet Chats, and in the press tent. We're going to have more coming up in a couple months with TCM Film Festival, which uh, we should have announcements on as to who the guests will be uh, at the festival this year, as well as what film, the complete lineup of films, which I know a lot of people are chomping at the bit for. But welcome to March. Already, third month of the year is, has kicked off, um, and we've got a great show today lined up. I've got two filmmakers who are fabulous. One I've had the pleasure of knowing for a number of years now. She is a dynamo. She is creative. She is inventive. She is a writer, director, producer, actress. It's Molly Elfman. Uh, some our regular listeners may recall Molly joined us last year uh, in May with a new concept in the horror genre, a series of comedic anthology short, uh, shorts put together in an anthology called Fun Size Horror. A multitude of writers and directors each directed one of these short films, and it was packaged together as one big horror fest of fun. Well, it was so successful. Molly and her team put together Fun Size Horror Volume 2, which is now... A- yes, Brian... I'm sorry. No, you keep going. Finish your thought and I'll jump in real quick. No, no go ahead. Go okay. ahead. So I remember a couple of weeks ago we said we were going to do the Star Wars Episode Eight countdown and we've neglected it. Do you have that information? I have it right in front of me right now because I have it bookmarked. So if anybody's listening, we have 647 days, 12 hours and 56 minutes to go until Star Wars Episode Eight opens up. Well, you know... And I couldn't have made it through today without knowing that information. Yeah. So I'll give you an update next week. Should be that's, a- that's Brian is our official Star Wars countdown person. Beside, give, beside, give, give you guys a hint. It'll be seven days less next week. Yeah. Well, you never know. The Earth, you know, we could gain or lose time in that amount of, in t- that amount of time. Actually, yeah, we're going back next week. It's, that's uh, right. Yeah. So see? You're right. See? So we're going to, it'll be one hour less that we have to wait. So, Brian will be back next week with another update on the Star Wars release date. Uh, But, getting back to Fun Size Horror, um, so Molly will be joining us at about the 15-minute mark to talk about Fun Size Horror Volume 2 and what's in store for everybody this go-round. And it is available on Hulu right now. So, for all of you horror fans and comedic horror fans, you can run right out to Hulu right now. If you want to, you know, not listen to the show and go watch Fun Size Horror, that's okay. Molly will owe me for this. Um, but besides Molly Elfman, at the half hour mark, an exciting new director that I just now, I had the chance to interview the other day, Michael David Lynch. I am so thrilled with what he has done. He, his first feature film. He has produced before, uh, he's written before, but this is his first feature. Uh, It's called Dependence Day, and he had a world premiere at Cinequest on Saturday night. So 
We're going to hear from Michael fresh off that world premiere experience uh, for his first directorial uh, at the half hour mark when he joins us. And uh, it's a very fun film. For those of you LAFF uh, Los Angeles Film Festival fans, Joe Burke is the star. You may remember Joe Burke and this very funny and charming film that he had at LAFF 2013 called Four Dogs about a 20-something nephew who is staying with his older aunts uh, and their friends. Um, If you can find it, I'll I'll have to talk to Joe sometime and find out if it's available uh, for anybody to see because it is a real charmer if you haven't seen it. But here Joe moves from behind the camera to in front of the camera and what he does with under Michael's direction is just, it is, it's a balancing act that works. And, uh, that's all I'll say right now about that. But Michael and I will get into that when he calls in, but right now we've got a lot of films coming up and a lot of interview excerpts. I've been uh, doing a lot of interviews, uh, one-on-one interviews and press days recently. Next week, we're going to be talking about uh, a fabulous film in time for the Easter season, uh, Miracles from Heaven, directed by Patricia Riggin, starring Jennifer Garner, Martin Henderson, um, Eugenio Derbez. So based on the true story, uh, Christy Beam's book, Miracles from Heaven, about her nine-year-old daughter, Anna, who was dying from a motility disorder and fell 30 feet down through a hollowed out cottonwood tree, hit her head just so that something happened to spark a spontaneous remission. Um, Science calls it spontaneous remission. Christy Beam and her family call it a miracle. So you'll hear next week uh, and the week after, you'll hear more about Miracles from Heaven and my one-on-one with director Patricia Riggin. Uh, Also my one-on-one with uh, Eugenio Derbez. We've also got... Allegiant coming up. A lot of interviews on Allegiant co- coming your way as well. But today, this was such a tr- this is such a treat for those of you who have not heard of the movie yet. Uh, put it on your radar. Hello, my name is Doris. Sally Field is back on the big screen, and not a moment too soon. The film is absolutely adorable, charming. Written and directed by Michael Showalter. It stars Sally Field. Her supporting cast is amazing. She's got Max Greenfield. What else does she have in here? Max Greenfield, Beth Bears, for the older crowd, Tyne Daly, Carolyn Aaron, Peter Gallagher, um, Stephen Root, Wendy McClendon Covey, uh, Natasha Leone. Absolutely fabulous cast. It's basically 60-something woman, Doris Miller. She's lived with her mother her whole life. She is a hoarder. And she marches to a different drummer, and even when she marches to the different drummer, she's always a little bit out of step. But something happens that inspires her to try and get out into the world following the death of her mother. And it's a younger co-worker that it's, it's in a sense, a reverse May-December romance. You typically think of the stereotypic uh, film approach is generally the older man, the younger woman. This is the older woman, the younger man. So, and it just plays out. It is a comic beauty. Sally Field is as good as ever. And as I like to describe her character, it's Gidget at 60 with the fashion sense of Gidget's best friend, LaRue, with a dash of Sybil thrown in. 
So at the recent press day, I had a chance to actually ask Sally about creating this character and the look of Doris, which basically reflects the emotions of this person who really doesn't know how, quite how to communicate with society. First of all, I want to congratulate all of you. To, to paraphrase Sally herself at one point in her life, I love this. I really love this. It's, a, it's an amazing film. Michael, thank you so much for writing a film that features a mature woman of the ARP generation and for writing a script worthy of Sally's skills and talents. Great job. Thanks. So I want to ask you, Sally, this is a very unique, Doris is a very unique character, a little quirky, but so much of her emotion is told through her costume, through her wardrobe. Mm -hmm. It is an extension, clearly an extension of her. Mm -hmm. How involved were you in working with Rebecca in creating the look and the feel of the costume and then thus the emotional impact of Doris? Completely. Absolutely. I mean, it wasn't like Rebecca had uh, knew what what she looked like. None of us knew exactly what she looked like. And Michael let us go and create her. What Rebecca did was remarkable. Is that she created? I mean, a room full. I mean, rack after rack after rack after rack after rack of old clothes that she collected from the the old clothing houses that almost don't exist anymore. Western costume and the old Universal. Um, wardrobe that's huge and they're getting rid of so much of it now which is sad but she also went to all the thrift shops and she went to the Goodwill and she collected just racks of things uh, most of it was disgusting I mean really rank and horrible and, um, and we Rebecca and I would spend from from early morning as soon as Universal opened its doors practically we, we worked at the Universal um we did the costuming at the Universal Wardrobe Department. Um, and I, we would be there from early morning, and then late, late in the afternoon at like 5 o'clock, after she and I, we, we would, I would just try on things. And I had it in my head what the hair was, and I had sent a picture to my client, copied it. I copied a picture of Bridger Bardot. It's Bridger Bardot's hair to 1961, <laughs> except hers is blonde. And it's Bridger Bardot underneath the hair. And um, she had big swooping bangs, which I cut off to make it just quite, not quite right. And, and she wore that great big, you know, scarf around her hair. So we sort of knew what the hair was. And we, and, and Doris just sort of emerged out of all of those racks of clothes when I put on a, a blouse and then with a skirt, we go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, I think she's coming, I think she's coming. And, and she just literally, it was like sculpting something. She started to emerge from the, the marble. And then we'd call Michael, we'd say, can you come? And his office, he would drive from his office, which was not too close, but not too far. And at the end of the day, we would have maybe two out. Maybe we had one or two outfits the first day. Maybe not even that. And he went, yeah, yeah, you got it, you got it. And that by the end of the third day, we had almost all of them. And the only time that Michael did not agree with us um, <laughs> was the one, was the and we went around and around and, 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 until finally I just said, I placed myself in your hands, which was the neon one. Um, I just said, What? He said he knew very clearly what it was, and I went, what? That's, you can't do that. You 
going for a joke. It will tear the fabric of her character. <laughs> did I not say all yes, of those things? Yeah. I, 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 I was quoting Lee Strasberg. I was pulling out everything. Wait a minute. And he said, trust me, I know comedy. This is it. I know it. I know it. I know it. And and he was right. He was right. And and it was a, it was a leap of faith. But I think every everywhere every bit of all of this for all, all every one of us was a giant <laughs> leap of faith. Oh my. And a fantastic leap of faith it definitely is because the movie is absolutely fantastic. To watch the dynamic between Sally Field and Max Greenfield is so much fun. Uh, so it's opening either next week, this week or next week. Uh, so put it on your calendar, go see it. And as I said during the press during the press conference. Thank God that we are starting to see more roles for not only women of the ARP, the over 50 age bracket, but for audiences who appreciate those films and those talented actors. Um, And thankfully, Sally Field is still working so that she'll still be able to vote for Oscars next year. Because as a reminder, you know, under the new rules, if you're not active for 10 years, you don't get to vote. So hopefully they can Jumping to that briefly again, you know, hopefully the Academy will will realize the error of their ways in that one and do some kind of amendment to that. But the always prompt and wonderful Molly Elfman is on the line. Hello, Molly. <laughs> Hi, Debbie. How are you? I'm fine. Have you had enough coffee yet? I think I have. I'm nice and caffeinated, and I'm ready to go for like 30 whole minutes, and then I'm going to crash hardcore. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> but, of course, and you've got to follow Sally Field. Uh, well, that's uh, – who can follow Sally Field? That's ridiculous. Well, you know, you, you can try. Oh, I, I'll always try. She's, she's actually – we use her uh, – we quote Mrs. Doubtfire quite often in our household, so we, I look up to her quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to see her new movie, Hello, My Name is Doris. It looks fantastic. It, actually, I just saw the trailer for it. It looks wonderful. It is fabulous, and to see her back on the big screen again is just – She's so adorable. Isn't she charming? She is beyond charming because after the press conference, I even got to talk to her about TCM because, you know, she's been hosting TCM Essentials with Robert Osborne this season. And, mm-hmm. yes, she will be coming back. She, she's in talks now to make arrangements to come back and do another co-hosting season with him of the Saturday Night Essentials. And That's so awesome. I know. And, you know, we also got to talk about her stepfather, Jock Mahoney, who was one of the people that – that embraced me when I first came out here 35 years ago. It hasn't been that long. Yes, it has. It's impossible. Just uh, you're a vampire. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, yes. Well, speaking of (laughs) vampires, will I see any vampires in Fun Size Horror Volume 2? You know, I don't think that we actually have any vampires this year. I think we tend to just stay away from some of the things that a lot of other people are doing. I think one of our goals is to try to do things that nobody else is doing. Okay. Well, having said that, how do you top Fun Size Horror Volume 1? <laughs> well, I don't know. It's, it's continuing to find new avenues, new filmmakers, and new people. Uh, and Fun Size Horror Volume 1 was very much a 
you know, trying to see what we could do. And volume two was really us. I, I think we upped the game. We started to actually understand how to shoot these a little, you know, make life easier on ourselves. We had a team of people that we were bringing back for just about everything. Bowman Modine was our AD on almost all of these. Uh, Alex Choate was our production designer. So it did become a little bit more almost like you would shoot a TV series. Uh, just we had our mm-hmm. usual people. So that made it much easier in terms of we weren't just frantic about putting everything together. We actually had a system and a way of going about things. And so then we actually got to focus on the creative. And then we got to focus on finding directors who had visions that kind of nobody else was giving them a chance to really express and how to let them really focus on that. And I think that's one of the problems with short films is that you just need the money or you need to get the camera or this isn't happening and you don't actually get to focus on the creative. And that Mm -hmm. was really our goal this year. So now did you have the studio, the equipment, and all of that available for these 13 directors to come in and direct? We, well, we we managed. (laughs) I think that's always the way. Uh, it was, it's never a single deal. Uh, it's always multiple different deals with us and multiple different partnerships. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the ways that we work. We don't have one set way of working. There's not one deal that you make with us. There's not one anything. Uh, we, we very much pride ourselves on everybody, every project, every single instance is its own unique beast, and we have to tackle it as such. Mm-hmm. That being said... Making life easier in terms of, yes, we do have, you know, these three cameras that we know that we can use, and we do have these sets in L.A. Center Studios. It's been very kind to let us use their studios quite often, and we've worked with Relativity Film School and a number of their students and even had a student filmmaker join the, uh, the group because we saw how amazing he was and held a competition. Uh, so, yeah, we were able to give them a lot more than the year before. So... How many of your directors were returning directors? I know that Ned returned and came back for volume two. <laughs> Ned, uh, if we can have Ned back every single year, I'm pretty sure that we will. Well, uh, Ned he, he doesn't do anything first- else. You might as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's not busy at all, no, right? And, and we say, you and I say that with great love because we love Ned. Yeah, I, I can barely get Ned on the phone these days. He's been so busy. And he just finished his first feature, so that's fantastic. And he's been getting that out. Um, but, uh, no, I hope to have Ned back every single year. Bitter was one of my favorite ones, as always, just because he's, he, he's our comedy horror guy. You know, he's, his are always the most playful and the most fun. And then this year he did Playing Dead uh, with uh, Tracy Toms and Addie Shankar and Kevin Daniels. And it was an amazing cast. Mm-hmm. And they, they were, it's ridiculous. Uh, it was basically a bunch of, go- what would ghosts do if they were just hanging around and they just wanted to mess with people? Oh, God. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> now we know what Ned's doing in the halls of the Four Seasons Hotel. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's got he's to have other ideas coming out. Uh, but we did have Zeke De Niro came back with Last Laugh. Uh, Michael May, uh, who I said that I wasn't going to act this year, and I really failed at that. Uh, and mainly that was because Michael, Michael and I have been friends and producing for years. And I've actually, I, you know, back in the day when I was acting a lot more and he was directing, well, he still is directing, we had always wanted to partner up. And so we had this film initiation, which we literally were finishing writing, I think, five minutes before and wouldn't torture any other actor in that way. So why not torture me in that way? 
Uh, and so I did that, and that was that was actually really, really fun, and it was a really great opportunity. So he's returning. Um, Grant Olin returned, uh, who actually had two films in Volume 1. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe uh, just about everybody else is newcomers. We had Karen Gillan uh, with Conventional this year. We had Patrick Ria with Pillow Fright, uh, which has... You know, premiered at a number of other places. We had Whispers with Max Isaacson, who I believe played at Fantastic Fest mm-hmm. uh, earlier this, or, or last year, I guess now. God, I'm losing track of the years. Uh, and then Pat, uh, Peter Wu uh, with Kill the Mommy, which is probably our trippiest film this year, <laughs> without a doubt. You always have to have at least one. Yeah, I think if you're, you know, that's your psychedelic, if you, if you feel like, you know taking any drugs that's that's the film to focus on <laughs> but you know we're really it, it's all over the place it's intentionally meant to be that uh and Stephen boyer by the way is our student film director who we were just oh, so okay. uh impressed with uh what he's able to do um and then there's also mark miller who works for uh clive barker's company mm-hmm. uh who clive barker who's been a huge supporter of us and all the artwork that you'll see in the film is clive barker's artwork uh, but Mark, on his own, went off and made The Great Corbin, which every single time I watch that one, for some reason, it's one of those ones that I just like more and more. Aww. I don't know why. It's just it's definitely turned into one of my favorites. Now, obviously, you've got your returning directors. How did you go about finding new directors to come on board for, for Fun Size Horror Volume 2? Oh boy, how did we do that? Well, it was, we've always had a lot of people. We actually have a lot more directors that we would like to work with. Last year we had a whole plan and, and not everybody that we wanted to work with we got a chance to. So that's why we're actually very eager and why we, we launched this whole campaign that we have going on right now specifically for the community. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a lot more people that we would love to support and sometimes their ideas are just not able to get financing and we're not able to do that because they are so risky but we think that they're absolutely genius and if just given the opportunity people would see that and so it's a it's a little bit more of a challenge but we're we go out to conventions we are online we are on funsizehorror.com users can submit their work they can talk to us we are always looking for new people uh steve desmond is a director who submitted his film won a competition, uh, and now we're working with him on more films because we just thought he was so amazing and impressed by his work. Mm-hmm. So we're really, you know, we're, we're finding people email us, people find other people. We want people with creative ideas. We want people who are trying to do stuff that they can't do elsewhere. Uh, and, and I don't know, people, people have been finding us. We've been finding people. It's, it's been through word of mouth. And now with funsizehorror.com, that was a big part of us getting the website up is people can submit films anywhere. They can contact us. They can ask us questions. Um, I guess we work with agencies and whatnot, but I think most of the people that we're working with are still on the, on the rise. Mm-hmm. So how do you put together the package here? Because this year you got, you've got to deal with Hulu out of the box. Uh, And I think this potentially could be our last year of actually doing an anthology feature. Uh, I think we might be moving into other stuff from this point forward. Uh, And it's very much a mixtape is the way that we like to put it. Mm -hmm. Um, And putting it all together is always very challenging and always very tricky. 
uh, and it's it's going with what the natural feel of of what we think should be next. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, initiation it was one that we wrote intentionally to start off the film, and it's kind of our our own to our own filmmakers and the pain that we put ourselves through in order to make sure that we get everything to happen. Uh, and then from there, it's just kind of, it, it, it's very much a mixtape. You know, it takes on its own natural flow. Uh, and dare I even ask, is the whole idea of mixtape, could it have been influenced by certain Guardians of the Galaxy? <laughs> Potentially, we uh, yeah. I have to say, uh, it's, you know, we love the feel of uh, that feel. I mean, aren't they the? They're the ultimate outsiders right now, right? That's it. I, yeah, exactly. It's they, they're a little bit more successful than us, but you know, we're hoping to reach that level. You know, give us another year or two, and we hope to be Guardians level. So now you just got back from Dallas, where <sighs> conventional was screening. Yes. So what we were actually doing was Karen was actually at a convention. Okay. Uh, Karen does conventions quite often, um, and I actually wanted to experience a convention with Karen for the first time because it's actually an idea that we've been growing okay. uh, and expanding, uh, and that's actually something that we've been doing. We call them uh, fun size horror shorts with legs. <laughs> so some of the ideas that you've been seeing, uh, I believe there's about 14 of them. We are now expanding into features, series, or web series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is one that we've been playing with an idea with. So I wanted to go and kind of experience the world uh, with Karen so that we could kind of potentially expand an idea and see what we could do with it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and it, Yeah, it's pretty wild. So are you going to be expanding into features? I know that is something you have wanted to do for a while to really get the ball rolling with feature after feature after feature. That is exactly what we're going to be doing. And actually more series too, by the way, there are a number of series that we're looking into because that seems to be the way of the world right now. But, Mm -hmm. um, we have taken a number of the ideas uh, from Volume 1 and Volume 2, uh, and that's actually been kind of what I've been focusing on, which is taking me out of the game a little bit, but helping, mm-hmm. uh, I believe it's 14 of our filmmakers develop these ideas into features that we can take out, and we are just starting to actually do that, and hopefully we'll be able to announce some of those soon. Uh, but it's, it's very exciting because, you know, the whole idea of this is to give filmmakers a chance to get to that next level. Uh, and the system is starting to actually work. Uh, and I would love nothing more to be able to help people get to that next level. We're getting them in the rooms and we're getting them features and we're getting them all the rest, but now we need to get them made. So we're getting there. Okay. And what, what is next for you? Will you be directing? Will you be (laughs) going back in front of the camera or will you just be spending all your time Wheeling and dealing and putting all of this fun stuff together. How about all of the above? Um, Why? I, I was afraid you were going to say that. <laughs> you know, I never, I never like to put myself too much into a box. Um, I, uh, let's see, uh, we're, I'm definitely, you know, what I love more than anything is helping all of these wild, crazy filmmakers take their ideas and find a way to actually get them out into the world. Uh, and it allows me to use the, the organizational side of my brain, but also that creative side of my brain. Mm-hmm. And you see all these people that just, they have everything. They just need that little help. Uh, and so I think that's really what Fun Size Horror has been all about. That being said, yes, we also have a number of other projects. Uh, I have oh, Before I Wake may come out one day, we all hope. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you, what is <laughs> happening? That has been on the table for how many years now? Oh, yeah. No, it, it was... It, 
it, it will come out. And when it does, I'm going to be so proud of it. There's so many great performances and Jacob Tremblay in there and, uh, and so many amazing people. And I just can't wait to see it finally come out. It, it'll find its way. It's stuck in a few weeds right now, but it, it's coming. Well, and did you, did you just say everybody's favorite name of Oscar season? Oh, isn't he wonderful? He is, Jacob Tremblay is, he is the gem to come out of Oscars this year. Yeah, and you know what? He rightfully so. He is the he's so good in room, but also mm-hmm. after working with him, it, it's scary how good he is yeah. on set. I mean, he uh, the age that he was at, the the nuance that he was able to understand his character and the choices that he was making. It's uh, he's really special, and he's so sweet. It's 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 a little bit unfair. Is he not the nicest child in the world? He is. He's the nicest child, and his family is also really oh nice my, his supportive. Fa- and oh. They're very real. His father. I, mean, I had a chance to talk to them when we were doing press yeah. for Room, and afterwards, you know, we ran into each other. He was with Jacob in the lobby at the Four Seasons, so we mm-hmm. talked for about fifteen minutes, and yeah, so grounded. You know, eye on the ball. And I'm seeing that more and more with some of the real up-and-coming kids now. They've got very grounded parents who are making sure that the kids maintain that. that. That's important, though. That's because, you know, it's, it's important for the kids in order to have real lives and in order for them to actually grow up. Uh, and not just become kind of this cliche, you know, child actor. You know, you know yeah. Jacob. Jacob is a kid. You know, when he's not shooting, he's playing. He's in school. He's yeah. all. You know, and I think it's really important for people to remember that there is real life going on at the same time as all these movies, and they have a great balance of that. And yeah, can't wait. It's yeah. been very exciting. So, yeah, mean, now there'll be more. Well, I hope so. You know, now, you know, are you inclined when you, you know, when you're doing horror films and kids are involved, mm-hmm. is it a fine line that you have to walk in terms of casting and who you're going to even consider? You know, it's funny because I'm actually casting another feature right now that uh, we're about to do and there's more kids involved and there's more violence involved. And I'm like, is this just my thing now? Is this? Just like where, where okay, you you're beginning to Ullman? you're you're beginning to scare me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also love working with kids, and the fact of the matter is that when you're on a set, it doesn't really matter if it's a horror or whatever else. It's, we're not, you know, there's nothing really scary going on on set. You're explaining the situation. You're getting okay, to the scene, so it's Molly, not like that. It depends who you have working. <laughs> it could be yeah. very scary. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that doesn't matter what type of genre it is. That just depends on who you're working with. So what yeah. age, what age kids are you looking for for the new project? Uh, we have a couple of different ages, and we'll see. You know, even with uh, Before I Wake, originally that role was written for somebody at a slightly different age. But when we saw Jacob, oh. it was a unanimous decision that his, you know, he was just, there was many other great kid actors, but he was above and beyond. Uh, and so for me, it's always find the right kid and you can always adjust a role by a couple mm-hmm. of years if you need. Well, one kid you should definitely look at jo- mm-hmm. Joshua Rush. Oh, I love this casting, casting on air. Josh, let me, let me tell you, Joshua was the breakout star in Breakpoint uh-huh. from last summer. All right, I'm he, writing it down right now. Joshua is fabulous, and I can even send you the. I, I'll email you the information for his for his manager. 
Got it. Uh, we're, yeah, we're, we got this done. Between you and I, we're going to cast this by the end of the show. Hey, you know, between you and I, we can rule the world. I, oh, I'm, I'm sure of that. <laughs> so where can, so where else is, is Fun Size Horror Volume 2 going to go? So Fun Size Horror Volume 2 is coming out on Hulu uh, shortly. There was a slight glitch in that, but it'll be out later this week. And then it will be expanding onto many other VOD platforms, Netflix, iTunes, uh, all the rest. Uh, but we're starting on Hulu. Uh, I think Hulu is a great place for Fun Size Horror, mainly because yeah. we get to show the feature and we also get to show the shorts. Uh, and we've always been a Lego project. Mm-hmm. So I think it's nice to be able to see those pieces as well as the whole, which is kind of always how we intended it. Well, and sadly, my friend, my next filmmaker is holding for us. Aww. Michael David Lynch and his funny oh, film, really? yeah, Dependence Day, which just premiered at Cinequest on Saturday. And it is, it's a hoot and a holler. It really is. Well, I have to check it out. You definitely need to check it out. So we actually have to get together and see each other face-to-face for a change. Would love that. I know. It's been way too long. I know. I know. Molly, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. And I'll be back soon, I hope. You most definitely will. Fingers crossed for Before I Wake. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Molly. Bye. Bye. And that was Molly Elfman, producer of Fun Size Horror Volume 2. Go to funsizehorror.com and you can check it out. Right now, we have the fabulous, fresh off his Cinequest world premiere, Michael David Lynch. Hi, how you doing? I'm fine, Michael. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I've kind of lost my voice a little bit. We've been having too much fun here at Cinequest. So, is that I, I, is that what you'd call it? Too much fun? Yeah, too much fun. We've been hanging out with all the filmmakers. We've all been vibing. It feels like a big Cineclass family here. It's been fantastic. Well, I know uh, you've been hanging out a bunch with Quincy Rose. Oh, I, I just left him to pick up your phone. I Actually, d- hilarious enough. Quincy's been on the show before. I adore Quincy. Yeah, no, he, he, he actually sat my second screening. He was sitting next to me. So I got to hear him laugh, and then that same day I went to his screening, and now, yeah, we're becoming fast friends. It's, it's, it's good to, you know, again, have a have a good vibe. So right now we feel like we're like a graduating class or something, and we're all like, we were joking about like making jackets. Well, and I know that's <laughs> we're what all getting that, along. That's, when we talked the other day, that's what you were hoping for, is is that vibe and is that camaraderie of people that are actually doing things and not just talking about doing something. Exactly, and, I, and that's definitely what I felt here. And, you know, again, I think it's because we keep watching movies and we keep seeing movies we all like. Because you're at a festival and you watch movies, and if you feel like your movie is the only one that's good, it doesn't make you feel like you're in good company. I don't think it represents the film well. So when you're at a festival like Cinequest and all the movies around you are good, it makes you feel like, cool, we're, like, elevated on a certain level, you know, and, and it, it, I think it makes your film more credible. So... I think that's why we're all like, you know, high five and have good times, hanging out, you know, sharing our depressed with each other to help each other get more exposure. So it's been extremely positive. Well, I mean, I can honestly say, having seen Quincy's movie last year of Friends Evan, Friends Evan, Friends, and now Dependence Day, I mean, the two of you together is like, makes perfect sense for the two of you to hang out because you both have this same comic sensibility. Yeah, no, I, I, when I saw his movie, you know, when he's on mine, like, 
I could tell we both caught each other's humor right away. No, it's been, it was, I, I loved his film. I thought it was hilarious. Okay. Uh, I actually didn't want it to end. Well, con- I told him the same thing. Well, con- like, you ended it too early. I wanted to see some more. More friends having friends. Yeah. You know, and I want to see more of Joe Burke, Independence Day. Absolutely. Joe's a tour de force in the movie. He's, talk about an actor who just knows how to completely be vulnerable and just give his all. You know, a lot of actors like to reserve themselves or they want some big check to be vulnerable or whatever. And Joe's all about his craft. He loves his, the craft of acting. And, you know, uh, for a director to have an actor who is almost that method, you know, mm-hmm. it's fantastic. Now, do you I th- love playing. I mean, I love playing with him. Now, do you think that it also helped with Joe's performance here because he has been behind the camera, because he did do Four Dogs, which itself was its own... You quirky kind of comedy. I, I think, uh, yeah, I would say yes. Um, I think it always allowed him to understand what I was going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so therefore, like, I think, and I feel this way when I produce other movies for people, I think um, when you know how you want to be treated when you're the director, and then you can have that benefit of uh, giving that service to somebody else. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, that of him knowing how he wanted to be treated. So he never stepped on my toes as far as that and let me direct him and, you know, fully trusted. So I would say, yeah, I think sometimes it could be a bad thing, I think, depending on the, the personality type. But in Joe's case, you know, again, he, he was very giving because, you know, right now he's really trying to make a move on his acting career. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a big, big push that he's trying to trying to focus on. Um, I think if, if it, you know, who knows, if it had been a different time in his life, maybe it would have been different. But in the time that him and I met, everything just kind of worked out. Both of us, he wanted to act in something. I was just ready to direct. I was tired of, you know, kind of making everyone else's movie. <laughs> I really, and, and when I moved out to L.A. to, to make my own movies. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was one of those beautiful times. And same thing with Benita, you know. She she was, had moved back to L.A. after being... She she moved back from L.A. to New York a couple times, I think three or four. And this was like her last time finally <laughs> moving here. So again, it was like all three of us, when we were in my kitchen doing the chemistry read, we just all had fun laughing and giggling when they were reading my, my short script in The Babysitter that then later turned into Dependence Day. And I think that was the, the good thing is we all were tired of, you know, working on projects that don't you know treat you well or abuse you and and make something that could be really fun. And I, I think that because we had such a great chemistry, even off-screen, mm-hmm. I think that's why we had such great on-screen chemistry. because everyone really liked each other. Everyone was, you know, again, I'm a hockey player, so I filmed a team sport. So it's like I just think that there was a great vibe that we had where they understood how much I was respecting them. We only did eight-hour days since I couldn't, you know, since I was such a small-budget film to, again, be respectful of their time. So I, I feel like when you respect people and you treat them well, you know, it comes back in spades. Mm-hmm. So for all the listeners out there, give us a brief synopsis of what Dependence Day is and, you know, how you came up with the idea for this film. Because I, I think the way that you arrived at the, all the themes of this film, I think it's fabulous. Yeah, no problem. So um, uh, I, uh, a buddy of mine, I, I was really frustrated uh, and I, I wanted to direct something, and he just told me, Mike, the only reason you haven't directed something is because you haven't found something to believe in. When you find something to believe in, you can't be stopped. And I literally, the next day after he told me that, I wrote, you know, Babysitter, because it was this idea that I'd had, because I actually knew somebody 
you know, the all in all five uh, car scene. Um, I knew someone who really left, uh, who had that happen to him. I don't want to get too many spoilers on the radio, but that scene had happened in her life. Uh, and also, his girlfriend was the one making all the money, and he wasn't, and he was a struggling actor. Um, I knew him because him and I were, you know, PAing on big, you know, stuff in Hollywood at the time. Um, so that, that idea kind of came from still seeing that female breadwinner situation. Mm-hmm. It's still in the shorts. Um, and then after I, I, I brought Joe in for a chemistry with, with Benita, and it's a 15-page script, and he improvised on top of it, so I'm being like a 25-minute one take on my iPhone. He goes, ah, oh, it can't be that long, can't be that long. And I was like, why not? Maybe it's not a short, maybe it's a feature, maybe it's a web series. Like, let's, let's explore this. Um, and when it went to exploring, because the, the basis was still the fact that she had to pick him up, and like, it was all that, kind of, all that stuff was still in there, I then started having things that was happening in my life, because being a, being a filmmaker and producer, you know, it's not like when you're in the, in the camera union where you get all your benefits covered. Mm-hmm. So since my wife has a, has a, you know, she works at Chan Lu, uh, fashion company, um, and so she's got a steady job. So like I'm under, you know, her in health insurance plan, mm-hmm. you know, and, and in the accounting offices, you know, I'm claimed as her dependent. So some of that stuff is from my life, and <laughs> a lot of the other stuff is from other actors' lives. So you could say, you know, the, the, as far as them being a loving relationship, I feel like yeah, I borrowed a lot of the love from my relationship with my wife because I've been with my wife for almost 15 years, and, and I believe in true love. So. I wanted to do a movie that was very, you know, like my own as good as it gets, but with the Duplass style of, of having the money and kind of, you know, being able to go out there and make it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's something that, and, that you really have reinvigorated sorry. is that mumblecore style that uh, Jay and Mark started. And, you, and yeah, it and works I, really <laughs> well here. I think it did. And I think that's, it was, you know, because I'd done a sci-fi short film, Burden, and I toured the, to the world with it, whenever anyone would give me negative stuff, they'd be like, well, you can't do two people talking in a room. And I'd be like, seriously? My movie has a 75-part orchestra, and I shut down the financial district in Chicago and had 500 extras and got Peter Cullen, the voice optimist prime, to do a character. Seriously? <laughs> and so the past day, I was like, you know what? Since I'm not getting some giant money to make a big movie, how would I do a relationship comedy? And I love Like As Good As It Gets. It's one of my favorite movies. So that was just kind of where I was like, what would be my take? How would I want to tell a movie like this if I were to do it? And, uh, you know, earlier you asked me what, what the Panthea is, it's a hilarious, heartfelt, authentic relationship comedy about the adventures of being in love and making it work. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the audience members as well, you know, the opening scene, in the accounting scene, Alice claims Cam as a dependent. And that's where, from that point forth, he's trying to prove that he's not this man-child, that he's actually, you know, can be the man of the house, because, in, and, you know, we still have a world. One month after shooting, mm-hmm. uh, Dependence Day, Fox did a war on the female breadwinner. That we need to take our money back. And the men need to get back out there and not at home. And I was like, that's why I need to make this movie. The fact that we're still having conversations like this today. Yeah. <laughs> so, and my wife is a really strong woman. My mom, my grandma, you know, I had a, I've had a lot of strong women through my whole life. And again, I just didn't see that happening in, in the media. So I really wanted to make that commentary but, but do it in a really funny way so it doesn't look like I'm, you know, force-feeding it to people. Yeah, and that, that's something you really excel at here, Mike, is I mean, it's not force-feeding, it's not preachy. This just unfolds, and the ramifications of, in, of the actions of individuals, it all just unfolds in a very natural manner, just like, you know, and all of us, when you watch the film, as I had mentioned to you before, you know, I'm watching the film, and I know 
people that just like some of the characters in this film. Oh, yeah. And I've had plenty of people come on and be like, dude, I'm Cam right now, and I'm being whatever. Or, you know, I had, um, uh, when I was doing my, I was in Canada on another project, and uh, this other publicist was telling me, like, hey, I make uh, 130000 and my boyfriend only made 10000 he's in a rock band. And I was like, wow, that's so close to the numbers I used in my film. Because <laughs> <laughs> it is really funny. And, and I think it goes back to, I think, you know, with, with the, um, the girl power, the women, we can do it, you know, from those World War like two posters. Um, I think that our generation, you know, women have been really obviously, you know, fighting to kind of, you know, have to show that they can do it too. And I think the difference is in my generation, these people that are 30, I think a lot of guys still think the old boys club works where they're just going to get the job because they're a dude. Mm -hmm. And yes, in some industries that's still happening, but there's a lot of industries where that's not happening anymore. And the, and the women are kicking ass. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, and, and I think it's that, that, that kind of the turn of the tide of you got all these man childs who are playing video games and, you know, I still see it with, you know, guys I know. I play hockey, so I play hockey with a lot of young guys, you know, between 20 and up. And a lot of these young guys, man, they're, they like to be at home playing their video games still. And not saying video games are bad, but, you know, if you're not making money, and <laughs> you I want you be I, sitting on a couch playing video games. And I want you to know, Mike, as you're saying this, my sound engineer, Brian, is in the booth pointing to himself and nodding his head up and down going, that's me, that's me. So... <laughs> <laughs> so you've tapped into the perfect individual right here. Now, you know, in, a, there you go. in addition to your your strong leads in Joe Burke and Benita Robledo, your supporting cast is out of this world, starting with the incredible Lisa Ann Walter. I have never seen Lisa in anything that I did not laugh myself silly. She's hilarious. I called her my comedic hand grenade. Uh, during, during when we shot her scenes... I wouldn't even let the other actors see her. I would, I would actually play her part in the rehearsals, and then I would only bring her in after I hit the red button. So they would only be able to get access. I kind of treated her like the biggest celebrity on, on me in the movie, <laughs> and and because I wanted, I wanted like you know when you see Alice getting hammered by her, you feel that power. You feel that she's that like bigger than life personality. Um, and uh, and so, you know, because I also encouraged you know Lisa to improv as well. So it was like sometimes you never knew what was going to come out of Lisa's mouth. There's a cut scene <laughs> where, you know, just an example, so it's not a spoiler, but when Shannon with CO, uh, there's a little scene where Shannon and Alice are talking and then Lisa was going to interrupt them. And uh, Shannon tries to interrupt her and she's like, don't get sassy with me just because you're a ginger. Just little stuff like that that she would throw out that was just really hilarious. I mean, you know, depending on uh, what distributor we get picked up, there could be a lot of really funny scenes and a lot of lines and, Lisa definitely's got a lot of them. <laughs> well, and yeah, and that's part of the joy of having her as as part of your cast for any director is that she. Oh, and, and yeah, she's fabulous, and she 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 came to the festival and really helped us promote it, and and uh, was just absolutely fantastic. And and her and I, you know, become almost like best friends too. And I think that that goes you know back to I care about not you know uh, I care about every actor on my crew, I, uh, my cast, and my crew. I feel like. Every single person, again, I, I used to row and, and you know, a crew and hockey, and you're always weak as your good as your weakest person. Mm-hmm. And that's why I wanted to make sure that every actor who's in my film would shine. Because I also hate it when you go to a movie, especially independent, and you've got one good actor and everyone else is terrible. Because then I get pulled yeah. out. 
And I don't want to be pulled out. You want to stay in the moment. And that was something that was very important for me on Independence Day was to make sure there wasn't one weak performance in the film and that everyone just felt natural and organic. Um, and uh, so far, everyone we've been talking to has, has been saying that they, yeah, that even some of the other directors are like, dude, I didn't see any acting here, so I just saw natural performances. I took that as a compliment. <laughs> well, you know, and you've got, uh, you know, perfect casting with Shannon Lucio and David August as Cam and Alice's best friends, Kaylee and Luke. They are just so spot on as the Badinsky, this is what you have to do, best friends, that everybody in the world has. And Everyone has them, yeah. I mean, it, it's like you sit there and you watch them, but they are so effortless in the performance and add so much to the story, which helps propel the actions that you then have Cam, you know, doing throughout the film. I mean, it's a really nice, in, you know, interplay that you have going on with your construct there. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that the great thing about them, too, is, you know, you said, I remember especially in high school, it was worse. In high school, you didn't even date somebody unless all your friends approved, almost like voting. <laughs> <laughs> and... And in life, too, I mean, I saw a lot of people, that you know, other girls who maybe were having relationship problems with their men, they'd come up to my wife and say, don't you hate how Mike never admits he's wrong? And she said, actually, he does. If you can prove to him he's wrong, he'll always apologize. But it's like other people who don't even know me because they're having problems with their men trying to project their stuff onto us and trying to get, you know, my wife to turn against me. And it's like, you know, this is stuff that I feel we all, we all see because people do get jealous and people... You know, sometimes some people get vindictive and some people can't just be happy for you and they have to always feel like they have to help fix something or help do it. And, and sometimes it's not necessarily negative. Sometimes maybe they think like, oh, they got a booger in their nose. I'm just helping them point out the booger. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes people are, are happy with where they're at. And that was, I think, a big part of Dependence Day is also that it's about acceptance, mm-hmm. you know, accepting one another. And it's also about, like, you know, knowing how to, you know, if you're happy, not allow others to affect your happiness. Well, you know, and... Something that's really important with this film is you're wearing almost every hat there is, writer, director, producer, editor, and cinematographer. As a filmmaker, what, how do you juggle all of the hats? You know, or do you, in retrospect, do you wish you had not been doing everything yourself? Oh, I absolutely was happy that I was the cinematographer and editor and producer and director of my first feature, uh, on my next ones, I, I would actually love to work with an editor and a cinematographer so I don't have to wear those hats again. Mm-hmm. But I think it was important for me to do it so that when I work with another movie, some, some cinematographers are great. They're wonderful, right? But everyone who I was friends with because I didn't have the budget to pay a cinematographer, do you know what they would have done? You know what cinematographers do when you can't pay them? They will take forever to light because now it's just for their reel. And I didn't have time for that. Dependence Day was not about beautiful lighting. Dependence Day was not about all this extra stuff and movement. Dependence Day was about me capturing the best performances, not making the actors hit marks, allowing them to do it. Yes, that meant I had to pull my own focus while I was operating, mm-hmm. but I wanted the actors to stay as free as possible. So I was giving them a great location to be in with amazing props, with all this stuff, and with our, our script that, you know, that we asked to be improv off of, but we still always knew where we were going and what beats I needed to hit. Um, and, uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I lost my track of that. Talk about juggling um, all your hats. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, all the hats, all the hats, all the hats. Um, as a producer, what I do is I use Dropbox, so I'll, I'll find an intern 
I can just scan every contract in so that I can always make sure if there's anyone I've set. So I have a lot of systems in place because Dependent State may be my first feature as a director, but it's my seventh as a producer. Mm-hmm. And I kind of just have the producing thing, I kind of just have like a reflex muscle. Um, and the editing thing, too, again, when I've been a cinematographer, if I'm working with someone, if I've at least shot a feature and it's, it's good, if I'm telling them no, I'm looking at your, your RG, your, your monitors, we have enough exposure to shoot, I like the way it looks, we're going to hit that red button, it's time to record. I don't want someone that tells me you don't know what you're doing, you've never shot a feature before. Mm-hmm. You know, and the same thing with the editing. Oh, you don't know what you're doing, you haven't edited the feature before. Actually, at this festival, Cinequest, um, one of the programmers said to me, because she, uh, she's an editor on, uh, one of the three editors on Beast of No Nation, she really said to me, you know what, when I saw your hat, I was like, oh, God, not one of these. <laughs> and it's probably edited just so long. And then she saw it, and she was oh, my God, I loved it. I couldn't believe how tight your edit was. That was phenomenal. <laughs> she was, but just know, I hate when people write direct, and I can't believe you on the other. I mean, uh, not write direct, sorry, direct and edit. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I did encourage improv, you know, for me, it was very important that, you know, I'm, like, rewriting the script and the editorial, and I wanted to have... You know, and not only that, but because I had no money as well, I, if I didn't want to wake up at 4 in the morning or 3 in the morning or edit forever, you know, I, I, I mean, I rough cut the film in five days. <laughs> oh, my God. So it was one of those things where it's like no one was going to put as much love into the film as I was going to do, put mm-hmm. into the movie. And, and, and I wanted only love to be touching Dependence Day on every level. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I did a documentary, uh, and I had my, my executive producer, Paul Gordon, of Dependence Day, uh, you know, I got to work with him where he edited my doc because we were editing the films at the same time because I shot them simultaneously. Um, and I loved the experience of collaborating with Paul. And I loved the, that I could actually finally, as a director, let go of that control and not be a control freak. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, again, I think it, me doing these hats, my first feature, it allows me to continue to have educated intellectual conversations with whoever I hire in the future and for them to actually trust me that I also know what I'm doing and we can collaborate in a productive fashion and not have someone who's always like, no, you don't know what you're doing. I need this. I need to set up another 500 seat man. No, mm-hmm. you don't. <laughs> you can play it a different way. Um, so that, that was a big reason why I did them this one because I wanted this film to be so personal. I, I didn't want any negativity or someone to tell me, I can't cut now. You've got to wait or this or that. You know, uh, I, I can't write music and I can't, draw so that's those are areas that i love collaborating on so it just came with you know with that uh and and with writing uh, i i i normally do like writing with writing partners because i love being social and i love the back and forth mm-hmm. um uh so you know my main focus now that i am trying to do is focusing on the directing i i feel a director every director should have should have edited a feature and i think every director should have to shoot a feature they should understand the kind of pressure that goes with having those hats and understanding those jobs so they understand what their cinematographer is having to do and how much they're going through, both emotionally. Because cinematographers, a lot of people don't realize, maybe they're not running around picking up stands. Well, I was because we had, like, no one on set. But when you're on a big show, maybe they're not, you know, some people, when they're young film students, they get all jealous and the cinematographer's just standing there. But it's like his ass is on the line. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't look good... You're not going to say, oh, that one grip didn't put that flag up there. It's like, wow, that looks like crap. <laughs> you know, so they, 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 so they have a very, cinematographers have a very sensitive, um, they don't compose these two, they're very sensitive to their, to their work. Mm-hmm. So 
That's why. But I, 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 on my next feature, I 100% have a lot of cinematographers recording me. And again, some of the editing conversations, they're like, oh my God, I love how you shot this movie. But please, I would love to work with you. Can you not wear that hat so I can work with you? And that's on a lot of guys I definitely want to work with. And I think who I work with next will just depend on our schedules. Um, but again, I think it just gives me that ledge up of being like, yes, I've done this before. Mm-hmm. You know, let that be professionals. <laughs> so what's next for Dependence Day? You had very well received at CineQuest. Oh, I couldn't believe how many great laughs we had at both of our screenings. Um, what's next for it is, is we're going to try to do, a, hopefully, a day-and-date release. Uh, hopefully have a go-to-VOD, and uh, if we hit other festivals after CineQuest, Hopefully, after the screening, it's like, oh, hey, if you guys like it, go buy it on BRD. I, I feel like um, the climate has changed. And it's very similar to, if you look at the Hollywood system, if a movie doesn't do well, they release the Blu-ray almost immediately. Right. And if you remember back in the day, it was like a year later. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and when you're on a small budget, you know, it's like I don't have a marketing budget to promote a giant year of festival touring and then another year of BRD, especially when I'm ready to also make my next movie. So... Uh, I'm hoping that we, we get on a, a nice distribution deal where we can at least do a one-week uh, theatrical run somewhere and also release in VOD so we can get a lot of, uh, you know, eyeballs on it and uh, continue to see how well it can do. And, uh, you know, ho- hopefully even on, hopefully it'll eventually even end up on Netflix because I think that this is this film because, you know, the Floss Brothers just made a deal with Netflix. And like you said, there, there's some things that we can compare to, you know, the Floss Brothers or people have been lately comparing it to Judd Apatow. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone in our Q and A yesterday said, "Is it okay if I call you the West Coast Woody Allen?" Oh, <laughs> that <was hilarious>. <laughs> that's so <laughs> yeah, sweet. It was really... And it wasn't Quincy who said that, was it? No, but he's <laughs> in the theater when it was said. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. I bet he enjoyed um, hearing that. Yeah, oh. it, was really, it was really fun. It was just fun. That, and and you know what we did too is we've been shooting testimonials here at Santa Clara. So much like we see in advertisements. So we've been just gathering a lot of assets to really help uh, launch into our our, 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 our VOD premiere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so if you had to pick and, uh, your and, if you had to pick your single sorry. favorite moment of the weekend at Cinequest, what would it be? Uh, definitely world premiere. We had we had an amazing uh, pre party at Aura where we had a giant uh, projection of uh, I animated our our. Uh, uh, horizontal poster, you know, where it says Cam with the rose petals. We mm-hmm. animated his arm, throwing the petals, and had it on a loop in the background. We had food from Original Joe's, which is an amazing Italian restaurant. Actually, the whole friend, I think, friends cast came to our pre-party because we were playing at the same time. The Los Salas guys, the Cremonia team, we had so many other people that we invited as well to be part of their family. And then after our, world, after our, our pre-party, we had a giant step from P-Wall that had Columbia College Chicago on it. It had my Replace Trains logo. And it had the horizontal poster. And then after I, we hit up all of our people, um, because, you know, when it comes to a festival, sometimes they only post, like, one picture, and even though the photographer took, like, 100. So I told all those guys, like, hey, I'll give you singles. You know, so I, not only did we take pictures of all my actors and all, all the people on Independence Day, but we even ran through uh, a couple of the other movies so they could get a nice red carpet shot where they can get singles and, uh, all that, you know, groups and all that kind of stuff. So the, the carpet was really fun because, you know, when, when with the CineQuest carpet, I can only have like three of my actors with me for the big press carpet. Mm. And we had almost a whole 
cast here. And again, because I wasn't able to financially compensate in the way they should, I really wanted them to feel and get that red, that red carpet treatment. So we had like four photographers all taking pictures and, uh, you know, uh, I think the cast really enjoyed that. And then uh, of course, us having that big step at P-Wall drew a lot of eyes, and then we had to turn people away um, from the theater because we were so sold out. So it helped oh. really grab attention, and then after the And Michael, awesome. I'm, we are now, I'm getting the evil eye from Brian in there, because we are okay, now out yeah. of time. We got, we're going off the air. Okay. I can't thank you That's enough. Good. I can't thank you enough oh, for joining us, Michael. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. And that's it. Until next week, Behind the Lens.